Have you ever seen a car like this? This was my car. No, I'm not lying. When I was... When I was 17, I had a HQ Holden with a 327 tunnel ram Chevrolet, gullwing doored black station wagon <laughs> with murals down the side, murals over the back. Um, it did an 11 second quarter mile. It was hot. It had a TQ30 lumpy cam in it. If you know what that means, it means you sit at the lights and it just goes. <laughs> and I met Cheryl. It was, you know, had the fluffy dice in the back and all the velvet and velour and the bed and the bar and everything like that. And Cheryl said, I'm not getting in that car. Yeah, people will talk about it. So I sold it. But I want to tell you a story. It had, it had the most incredibly powerful engine in it. When I went up to um, Wandon one day, up to Warrialic, there's a real straight stretch on the way up to Hillsville and I let it rip. And what happens is, this is a blown engine, but I had a tunnel rammed engine, which is two carburettors, and they've got links in the chain. So when you put your foot on the accelerator, the linkage has pulled both throttles wide open. And when I pulled it right open, put, me, put the accelerator down, put the links pulled back, but the spring flicks back, but it pulled right back and it got stuck. So my car was going 100, 140, 160, 180, and I'm enjoying that. And then I took my foot off the accelerator and it just kept going. And I'm like, oh no, this is it, this is the end. So I turned the ignition off and finally rolled to a halt, but I thought it was a moment. But even though I spent thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on this thing, it had no power steering. So it was like driving a German tank. Like to try and park the thing you literally had to, you know, it was just terrible. And it's a little bit like our lives as Christians. We're supposed to be power assisted. We're supposed to be people of power. And that power comes out of the presence of God. That's the promise that Jesus gave his disciples. He said, wait in Jerusalem because my father's going to give you the gift that I promised. He's going to pour out my spirit upon you and you will receive peace, provision, prosperity, panel vans, power. Power. The word in Greek is dunamis. It means where we get our word dynamite from. You will receive power. Now, the presence of God, if you read Scripture right through the Old Testament, New Testament, the presence of God was the one pinnacle of relationship. It was why we were made. So Adam and Eve experienced the intimacy of walking with God in the garden. That's the language that the Bible uses. They had the presence of God with them. And if we look right through the Old Testament, the presence of God was the one thing that the Israelites were so fearful of and, and were chasing, but they were so terrible at keeping up the practices of following what God wanted them to do. But the scripture says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In other words, there's nothing better in life than experiencing the presence of God. 
You might get married and fall in love and have kids and, you know, buy a new home or have a nice panel van that everyone wants to stop and look at and all the girls go, oh, he's hot, when they're really saying, I like the car, not you. But the point... Yeah, I know you love me. You didn't love me for my car, though. But it's the ultimate thing as a human being to experience God. And when you have experienced God, then logically you should hunger and want more and more and more and more of that. Paul wrote, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you... Mark, you, me, I, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints. So it's not an exclusive gift or experience for one or two people. It's for every saint. May have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. So it's not an intellectual understanding of God. It's experiential. It goes beyond what our minds can comprehend to what our, only our physicality can experience. And we know that the presence of God is there because of what's happening to us. Brad, could you please get ready to put that little DVD on? So that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now, I want to play you a little, DVD, a little video. Thanks, Brad. That's someone experiencing the presence of God for the first time. That's power. If that hasn't happened to you, then you've never experienced the presence of God. It's called baptism in the Spirit. And it's the encounter of God indwelling man. And it's mysterious and it's a little bit unpredictable and it's a little bit awkward to watch. But that woman was encountering God not on the external but on the internal and he was bubbling away inside her. He was touching her with his love, and she was experiencing that. And she was beginning to shake, and she was beginning to cry, because she, how do you describe that? You can't describe it. And she began to speak in tongues. And it's, it's, I believe that's what Paul's talking about, that the presence of God, the, the presence of him indwelling us in the inner being is going to change our lives radically. It's not abnormal Christianity. This is normal Christianity. It's what it's supposed to be like. If you think about the presence of God, what happens with the presence of God is out of it comes power. And then because the Spirit dwells within us, his presence is there, we begin to understand the purpose for which God called us. And that purpose begins to, to change our character and God begins to, to, you know, to deal with the stuff in our lives so that there's there's purity that comes. And then our praise and our worship is not stimulated by whether Paul can sing well. The worship comes from in here, in your belly, in your inner being. And so what we do is we don't wait for an external stimulus for worship. We worship what we already have. It's in us. We are bearers of the presence of God. We, are, we have this treasure in us. In these earthly bodies, we carry around the presence of God. And I think what's, what happens in so many people's lives is we get caught between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, 
the whole concept of God was that he would visit people. He would come upon David or upon Moses and he would visit people, but he was confined to one place, a tabernacle or a mobile tent and later the temple. And if you wanted to meet God, you had to go there. In fact, you couldn't even get to God because he was in the Holy of Holies and the only time you could get in there was once a year. It was the high priest and he had to do so much to get there that they tied rope around his leg because they reckoned he wouldn't be consecrated enough to be in the presence of God. So if he went into the tent and died, at least they could pull him back out. And the presence of God, if you read about it in the Old Testament, was unbelievable. We're talking about a million people standing at the base of a mountain with lightning and thunder and God spoke to them in the sound of a trumpet and they all hit the dirt and they trembled. They peed their pants because the presence of God is terrifying. And they were so frightened of God, that when he was speaking to them and giving them the Ten Commandments, one of them yelled out, God, do to Moses, don't let God speak to us, Moses. You do it on our behalf. And they robbed their whole nation of experiencing God. And they set up their own leadership and and they robbed themselves of, of having God right there. And so God set them up a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke so that they knew that his presence was there. And Moses would go into that tent and he would meet with God as if a man would talk to you face to face. And Moses had to cover his face half the time because the presence of God reflected out through him and he shone like a beacon. People didn't want the presence of God. They were fearful of the presence of God. And we have the Ark of the Covenant. And when David got the Ark of the Covenant back from the Philistines and he brought it into Jerusalem, the men that were carrying it stumbled and they put their hand out and touched it and God killed them instantly for not respecting his presence. And we come in and we have our Christian lives and we sort of around the edges of God's presence that we carry, that we bear. It's a serious thing, the presence of God. What happened to that woman was beautiful. That's not the end of her spiritual journey. That's the start. That's the starting place. She will never be the same because God came and dwelt in her. And the evidence of that was that she began to do supernatural things. If an alien possesses you, you've seen the alien movies? Boom, out the chest. Well, if the spirit of the living God comes into a human earthly vessel, what do you expect to happen? Boom. Exactly. Because Jesus is immersing you into the Spirit. I will baptise you with the Spirit and with fire. That's That's an experiential thing. How do you explain that to that woman? If you read the little footnotes on the YouTube thing, that was her first time she'd ever been to church. (laughs) So God touched her. She was obviously searching. God met her and, and, and her heart was open. And that's what God is looking for. The hearts of men and women that will bear his presence, will respect and honor his presence. And out of it will come all those beautiful things, purpose and purity and praise and peace and prosperity. But they're all linked to the presence of God. So if we don't value and esteem and honour the presence of God highly enough, everything else will be secondary. But if we 
understand and appreciate the presence of God that we carry, then there will be power. And if there is power, your Christian life will work. And if there's power, there will be miracles and signs and wonders and tongues and words of knowledge and gifts. And, and, but that's not what we're chasing. We're chasing the presence of God. That is the gift, that God would dwell in us. We all get excited at Christmas time because Jesus became a baby and he dwelt among us, Emmanuel, God with us. And you could touch Jesus and you could walk with him and you could talk to him. But he said, it's better that I go back to my father and sit at his right hand because if I sit at his right hand and I get glorified, then I can send my spirit not to be sitting in that chair watching you, but to be internally inside you in your inner being so that you may know how much Christ loves you and to know this love that surpasses knowledge to know how wide and how deep and how high it is. That's normal Christianity. And when you're experiencing that encounter with God, you're off. Nothing will compare to it ever again. You'll know it's the best drug, the best experience. It's better than sex. It's better than anything you've ever had because it's the presence of God. It's the ultimate thing. And we all talk about it like it's not ours to attain. We've got it. It's ours. It's our inheritance. It's what was promised to us. I will pour my spirit out on all flesh and my sons and daughters will prophesy and have dreams. That's our inheritance. And we flirt around the edge of this thing. No, we've got to get into the presence of God because that's where the power is and that's where the peace is and the joy and the purity and the praise. Christianity without power is just hard work. My advice, give up and don't do it. It's too hard. It's no fun. It's no fun without the presence of God. In, the, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. So you think about the time in your life where you've been most joyous, it doesn't compare to what it's like to experience God. It just doesn't compare. It just doesn't compare. So when we think about you know, the presence of God for Moses, it was like, Lord, if you don't go with us, if your presence isn't with us, wherever we go as we're people, what's going to distinguish us, the Israelite people? We've got to have your presence. But the Old Testament was so burdensome and so hard to experience in God's presence. But the New Testament's not like that. It's a whole dispensation of grace that Jesus came for the purpose of not just getting us saved, he wants us born again, regenerated in the heart so that we go to heaven? No, so that the indwelling of the Spirit can come. Because if the Holy Spirit indwells an unholy vessel, there'll be an explosion. The presence of the exalted Jesus in the heart of a human person can only happen when there's holiness. That's why we have to have forgiveness of sin. That's why the blood of Jesus atones for our, our stain. But when that stain is removed and we come to a holy God and say, Father, forgive me for my sin, and we empty ourselves, the vessels cleaned on the inside, ready for the infilling of the holiness of God, the third person of the Trinity, he'll come. And I tell you what, when he comes, you'll know it there won't be any shadow of a doubt because we're bearers 
of his presence. So we no longer go into his presence, but we celebrate and activate the presence that we carry that resides with us. So that everywhere you go, you take the presence of God with you. So when you go to work, you take the presence of God because you carry it. You bear it. You were bought with a price. You were sealed with that spirit of God to take that presence with you everywhere you go so that you can be just like Jesus was and influence to a world that is hurting. But if you don't have his presence or don't appreciate that you have his presence or practice that you have his presence, then their power won't flow. And we need to be a people of power. 1 Corinthians 16, 9-20, you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, don't you? You do not belong to yourselves because you were bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. It's in his presence and functioning out of his presence that we thrive. We've been doing, just begun a discipleship series and we're looking at mentoring one another and, uh, you know, spurring one another on. The New Testament paradigm of discipleship is that the Spirit of God is your disciple, not a man. He's the one with the wisdom. He's the one with the complete package to give you. And we need to walk in the intimacy of the presence of God. And that's exactly what was promised to the disciples. His presence to us or in us is the promise of power for ministry and life. So the first evidence of the presence of God taking up residence in a believer is the manifestation of his power. Okay? So one of these things, if these are the power gifts, something of this has to happen to demonstrate that the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's self-evident. Whoever the Holy Spirit is will flow out of us supernaturally. He's a supernatural being that does supernatural things. So if he dwells in you and you're walking in cooperation with him, then the fruit of that presence is the same things that Jesus did. Our focus, therefore, should be on greater celebration of what we possess or, better better put, who possesses us. An activation of the Holy Spirit's activity flowing out from within us. Not the false theology of seeking a visitation, but deepening our awareness and reliance on his habitation in us. So if we're not experiencing God to the fullness that we have in the past, it's because something of our, our, our heart, our, our flesh has gone hard or we've grieved God because we're supposed to start out in that experience of being baptised in the Spirit and that just deepen and deepen and deepen and deeper. And the outworking of his presence is life and power and miracles and signs and encounter with God so that it's not a dry relationship, it's fresh all the time because I'm celebrating what I carry. I don't have to go searching for it. I don't have to go looking for it. It's mine everywhere. When I sit in the car, I can celebrate the presence of God. I don't have to wait to come on Sunday and hope that Mark preaches a good sermon or the worship's good. Why? Because it's not about the externals. 
It's about the internals flowing out. I will give you rivers of living water that flow out. Lord, give me something, give me something. I've already given it to you. See the false theology? And we get ourselves into this mindset where we go seeking something that's already ours. And I don't know what God has to do to shake us up to go, it's already yours. Just receive it. Soak in it. Activate it. Celebrate it. Celebrate that we carry the presence of God. That's the reason for which he has endowed us. Now, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's a promise. Last week, we looked at the promises of God are yes. So God didn't promise that and then fail to deliver. He promised that those rivers of living water would flow. He spoke this of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But we see later on when the day of Pentecost was being celebrated, Jesus had ascended to the right hand of Father, was glorified, the Holy Spirit came and all of them were together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the roar of a mighty windstorm came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them and all of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in foreign languages as the Spirit gave them that ability. So there's some of the evidence of the presence of God outworking in a man. Tongues, strange languages that they never learnt, that you couldn't have learnt other than God endowed that. It's just self-evidence of the presence of God. And we can go right through the book of Acts time and time and time and time again, wherever the Spirit of God came and possessed a man or a woman, there was evidence. There was an outworking of that happening. So we can start, the believers devoted themselves to what the apostles were teaching, um, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and times of prayer. A sense of fear came over everyone. Why? Because they were celebrating the presence of God. And what happened? Wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. Next, two days later, Peter and John go to the temple. Silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Healing. Manifestation of power. And we can just go on and on and on and on with the stories that happen. Um, you know. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Now those who were scattered went from place to place preaching the word. Philip, not Philip the apostle, but Philip the, 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 um, the elder at Jerusalem, went down to the city of Samaria and began to preach to the, the Messiah, to the people. The crowds hearing this message and seeing the signs that he was doing paid close attention to what was said by Philip. Unclean spirits were, were screaming with a loud voice. So we've got deliverance as they came out of people that had been possessed. Many of the paralysed and lame were healed. As a result, there was great rejoicing in the city. And we just see this partnership between the presence of God coming and power being demonstrated. The presence equals power. The presence equals power. It just goes on and on again. When Peter went to Cornelius' house and he shared the gospel, he was only halfway through the message and suddenly what happened? They started speaking in tongues because the Spirit of God was received. And when the Spirit of God's received by someone who's longing for that, 
then there's a freedom for God to do what he wants to do. And it just goes on and on and on. Every time the Holy Spirit is received, there's an accompanying external sign of supernatural power manifested by the recipient. There's a number of times in the book of Acts where the apostles came across believers and they observed those believers and something wasn't right. Acts 19, Paul went down to uh, Corinth and he found a group of men and he said, you're disciples, aren't you? And they said, yes, we're disciples of John. And he said, so what baptism did you receive? They said, well, we've had the baptism of repentance. And so Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I said, we didn't even know there was Holy Spirit. And so he taught them the truth of the gospel and then he laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And guess what happened? They prayed in tongues and prophesied. The evidence that is there. The sad part about all this is some of you are hearing this for the first time. Some of you have heard it in snippets and pieces. You were supposed to hear it when you first gave your life to Christ. That's normal Christianity. What becomes very problematic is if there's a time lag between your repentance and faith in Christ and this happening is that you learn to live without the presence of God in the depth that you're supposed to. I'm not saying that you're not saved. This is not about being born again in terms of your redemption to be in heaven. I'm talking about the activation of the, the baptism of the Spirit to have the fullness of God. Because when Philip went to Samaria and he preached the gospel, they received it and they got baptised. But Peter and John had to come from Jerusalem to lay their hands on the people for them to receive the Holy Spirit. They're different parts, but they're joined together. But the problem is we've segregated the parts. And if you've come out of an independent Baptist church like I had, I can show you my baptism certificate from 1979 when I got baptised. But the one thing about that baptismal certificate was that they should have given me a second one that said on the day, la, 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 Mark Wilson received the gift of the Spirit of God. But I didn't. All I got was a drowning in a pool. And I got shortchanged because they didn't allow me to experience what I was supposed to as normal Christian life. The baptism of the Spirit, I'm sorry if it offends you or I upset you, but I love you enough to tell you that if you've never had that before, you're missing out. And it's not for the purpose of having an us and a them, the those that do's and those that don't. We're all supposed to have it. And I will journey with you. I'll crawl on my knees. I'll do anything I have to to get you to that point where you receive the Spirit of God in your life and you know it. I'll do anything I have to because I know the difference that it makes when you've got that power. It's like night and day. I can't explain it to you. You've got to experience it. If you had to write a script about what you just saw happen to that lady, how would you explain it? You just couldn't. But we are not doing all this to chase the gifts. They're just a byproduct of the experience of celebrating the presence of God. We don't have to chase the gifts. The gifts will come. That's what Simon the sorcerer did. He saw what happened at Samaria. He saw the apostles lay hands on people and he saw that manifestation. And he said, I want that. How much does it cost me? No, he missed the point. The whole purpose of the outworking of the Spirit of God is for what? 
Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and, don't forget the last bit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. What was the first thing he commanded his apostles when he left? Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that you're going to get. Because until you get that gift, you're, you're no good. <laughs> You've got no power for ministry. You've got no power to achieve that great commission. That great commission can only be achieved. Let me go back here. If you have not manifest these gifts, then you don't have the weapons to fight the war that we're in. You don't have them. You cannot do spiritual things without the Spirit of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh and spirit gives birth to spirit. So unless the Spirit of God is birthed in you, then out of you can't come the gifts that are needed to do the work of ministry. You can preach the gospel. You can preach the good news of Jesus. You can lead somebody to the Lord. But how are you going to fight principalities and powers? For the weapons that God has given us are not carnal, they're not fleshly, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So we need to be armed with the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God bears the power gifts to bring the breakthrough and break the chains and the bondages and to, and to tear down the strongholds of the enemy. We can't do that without the manifestation of the Spirit's power in us. And it starts with a personal encounter with God. You know, the most humbling thing to do is to discover this 10 years into your journey of faith and then to have to go back to the basics. I was the pastor of a church and I had to go to my elders, some of them who were quite Pentecostal, and say, you know what, guys, I missed out. Boy, did I feel stupid. Really stupid. But really glad I asked. Because his presence is more important than my ego. And if we haven't had that, then we're always going to be lacking. And I don't think we're supposed to lack. I really don't. The presence of God is the promise of power. Wherever his presence is, there will be power. We talk about God being omniscient, means he knows everything. Omnipresent means omni just means maximum. Present means God is everywhere. But we use the word omnipotent, which is all-powerful. The worst thing that can happen to a man is that he becomes impotent. You ask him what happens to his self-esteem when he's impotent, when he can't bear fruit, when he can't bear the seed of multiplying. Same thing in the Christian faith. If we're not filled with the Spirit of God, then how can we multiply disciples that are disciples of power and authority? The authority comes out of the presence of God. That's the only thing we've got to hang on to. <laughs> I don't have anything to offer. All I've got to offer is the Spirit within me. And if I know that I carry and bear God, then I'm just like Jesus walking the earth. I can do anything. Not because I... Physically have the power, Mark Wilson has no capacity, but I carry the capacity of Jesus. That's the fullness of the gospel, to walk in that power and authority. The greatest present that God will ever give you is not the gift of tongues or the gift of preaching or prophecy. The greatest gift that he's already hopefully given you 
is himself. And out of that presence and that celebration and that familiarity and that intimacy comes power and peace and provision and all the peace that you can think of. That's God's design. Now, I'm really sorry if you somehow missed out on a baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's because you weren't discipled well. It's because your pastors and leaders failed you. It's because they didn't walk you through the process of making sure that happened. You know, the really difficult part of going back and doing that again is that the moment that you give your life to Christ, in that window of time, your heart is so after God, you're hungry. And you've come to that revelation that you need a saviour and that everything about you is worthless. And so you die to your flesh and you say, Lord, save me. I don't want to live like this. At that juncture of time is when you empty yourself of yourself and Jesus can come in and be Jesus in you. But if we leave a time lag, our identity becomes a bit of God, a bit of us, a bit of self-reliance, a bit of flesh, a bit of spirit. And, and instead of being an empty vessel, it's becoming complicated. So what we would normally do now is push all the chairs back and pray. Holy Spirit, come. But the problem is he won't come because there's no room in a lot of people's lives because that window or that time frame when we were vulnerable before God and empty has got filled up with worldly stuff or self-reliance. And until we get to that place where we hunger and thirst again, there's no point praying. It will just be frustrating for the recipient, frustrating for us that are praying, and God can't dwell where there's not the space and not the hunger and not the yearning. So what I want to do for the next week is ask every one of you to fast and pray. And I'm going to ask everyone that's not here today to fast and pray because I want to declare this. If we're not a church of power by the end of this year, we need to shut the doors. Honestly, we need to shut the doors because we're mocking God. We're mocking God. If God is a God of power who wants to outwork through his people and we're just fluffing around the edges and we're not willing to step into everything that God ordained from the Old Testament till now, he wants us to be in the fullness of his spirit, just like Paul prayed. And if we're not willing to be a people that step into that, there's nowhere to go. We're not going to enjoy the blessings of greater things because it's going to come out of flesh instead of out of spirit. It's going to come out of self-reliance instead of out of spiritual submission to the Most High God. So it's not a question of what power is going to manifest. Who cares? God will do what he wants. What we need to be able to articulate as individuals before God is that I know that I know that I know that the Spirit of God is in me. If you're not 100% convinced, convinced about that, then you're not, because there's no doubt. His presence is the fullness of joy. <laughs> and so you know when you've had that encounter. doesn't mean you haven't had encounters with God, but this is a, an abiding, sustaining, daily hour, hourly thing, where the presence of God is turned on like that all the time. 
And if God needs you to do something, there's no balking. It's just a natural expression of the Spirit of God because you know you carry the Spirit of God and you know his voice and you know his power because you've used that power. And so stepping into the next time God needs you to do something, it's not problematic. It's the normal Christian birth and it's the normal Christian faith. So I know some of you have heard this from me before, but I want to go back and I want to make sure we've got the foundations right. Because if we don't have the foundations right, you can't build solidly. And I think that's part of the struggle of a lot of our lives. We know we're supposed to be saying this morning, I've had a great time with God in church. I've really experienced his presence. I bet you probably 10% of you have. I don't know, I'm just picking a figure out of the air. But church isn't ho-hum. You think about it. If 50, 80, 100 people who know that they bear and carry the presence of God come together in one place under one roof, what makes this the house of God is not that this is the house of God where God dwells, it's that we brought God here with us. And so we celebrate that fact. And if you put 80 people together that truly believe that, the place will be rocking. Does that make sense? We've got to be that sort of a people. And that's where people will gravitate to. That's what the world's looking for. They're not looking for great music. They're not looking for hype. They're looking for a genuine expression that God is here in the now. And they want to experience that. As much as we need great theology and great teaching and great discipleship, unless someone truly encounters God, then it all just doesn't make sense, does it? We talk about this wonderful God that we worship who did all these miracles and does all these things and makes people feel this way and feel that way and yet they don't. Something's wrong. We need to fight to get to the place where everyone breaks through to that experience. Because I believe when Paul prayed that to the Ephesian church, he meant that with all his heart. I'll finish with that. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's your birthright as a believer. That's your right to experience that. How hungry are you for it? That's the, that's the question I can't answer. I, you know, like Jesus said, rivers of living water will flow, but we've got to want to be that reservoir. We've got to know that we need to be that reservoir and to be willing to come on the journey with what goes with being that reservoir. Because when Jesus said to Nicodemus, the spirit blows where it wants, no one knows where it comes from or where it's going to. You don't know what God's going to do with your life. If you're not willing to lay it down, if you're not willing to be transparent before God and open your life, there's no good praying for more. That's the precursor 
to open our hearts and open our lives and say, Lord, fill me with yourself so that I can serve you all the days of my life, not in a dry, barren relationship, not in an on-off, hot-cold relationship, but out of fire and out of your presence. So this week, I want to ask you, I can't manipulate you or command you, I just want to ask you, invite you, fast and pray. Fast and pray. Maybe this is all, you know all this and you've experienced all this. Thank God that you haven't been through the journey that some of us have had to. The horrible journey of undoing your theology and then trying to redo your theology with all the different wisdom that everybody has and opinions and ideas. Praise God that you were spared that. So get on your knees and pray for those who haven't yet experienced that. Don't judge them, don't mock them. Just pray your heart out for them. And for those of you that haven't experienced that, this is not to put on a show. It's not to embarrass anybody. I don't even know what we're going to do. All I know is if we don't fast and pray and have a hunger for this, then there's no point setting up a scenario where we pray. It's got to come out of our yearning for God. And if you don't have that yearning, I can't do anything about that. But all I can do as the leader of the church is say, I think we need to go this way. We need power. And we need the presence of God to be manifest, not as in, Jesus, would you please walk in the room now? He's already here. You're supposed to have brought him here and celebrate him here and awaken within us the gift that you receive by the laying of hands. It's what Paul said to Timothy, stir it up, Timothy, because sometimes you won't feel like the presence of God is here, but it is How do you know that? Because you had that encounter back there that forever is unforgettable because you know that God touched you and he changed a heart of stone into a heart of flesh and the spirit of God indwelt you and that's the the true north for the rest of your spiritual journey. Let's pray. Father, I just, just sometimes, Lord, you just feel so inadequate trying to communicate who you are and what you want to do and how you've done it. But I thank you, Lord, that it's not up to me. You're God. You don't need defending. Your ways are perfect and you love each and every one in this room and you long to indwell them and abide in them, not just to visit once a month or once a year, but to habitate in the sense of us hosting you and being good stewards of the fact that we host you, walking in intimacy with you, dying to our flesh and allowing the presence of Christ to rule and reign over us. Lord, I want to pray this week that as a people we would just search our own hearts. There's not one of us in this room, Lord, that can't have more of you. But Lord, I want to pray for those that have really grappled with encountering you. And Lord, I know what it's like to be on that journey, the the doubts and the fears and the questions and the second guessing. But Lord, I also know that this is our inheritance. And sometimes you've got to fight for an inheritance because somebody wants to steal it off you. And I know the enemy wants to steal and rob the church of having the fullness of, of God indwelling those who believe because that would make us dangerous. 
the danger is that we settle for what we've got now when there's so much more. So, Father, help us this week to clear out the clutter of this world and just come and say, Lord, what do you want to do in me? And be open to receive whatever the Lord wants to pour out upon your life. Lord, I thank you that there's people today around the world that are right now encountering you because they're opening their hearts and lives and saying, yes, Lord. Father, help us to be a church that says, here I am, Lord. Everything about me, it's yours. If you want to kill something in me, Lord, then I'll lay it on the altar and let it be sacrificed. And I know, Lord, when we sacrifice ourselves on the altar, the fire of God will fall. And so, Lord, I just pray simply this week that you would stir every one of us up. For those that aren't here today, Lord God, may this be a message that somehow permeates them as well, that, Lord, we go on this journey together, not in sense of any competition, but in a sense of celebration of what God is longing I will pour out my spirit. And Lord, we want to be those upon whom your spirit is poured out. We want to be hungry and we want to be found to be those who are thirsting and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. So Father, would you come by your spirit and lead us individually this week and take us into that deeper water we sang about this morning, Lord. And let your presence, Father, be the thing that we pursue more than anything else. Let Catalyst Church be known as God chases. People that are willing to lay everything else aside for the presence of his presence. So, Lord, we just thank you. You don't give up on us. Lord, even when we get it wrong or we get sidetracked or you just never give up. And I thank you, Lord, that you love this church and you love everyone in it and you're longing for us to experience that more, that more of you, more love, more power, more of you in my life. So, Lord, lead us this week. Have us in conversation with people right through this church family this week questioning, probing, asking, praying, standing alongside one another, sharing experiences, sharing journeys, sharing frustrations, God, so that we can come out the other side knowing that those who've hungered and thirst for more have got what they asked for. So, Father, we give it to you. In you we live and breathe and have our very being. In fact, we can't do anything without you. So we hand it back to you, Lord. And we say, have your way. We praise you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Andy, over to you, mate.